Volume 2, Chapter 2 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, a Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 2. I pray thee, loving wife and gentle daughter, give even way unto my rough affairs. King Henry the Fourth. About an hour after the moment when Ulrich and Lochchen disappeared, as described in the close of the last chapter, the cavalcade of Heinrich Frey was seen moving along the Jägerthal beneath the hill of Limburg on its way towards the town. Four light-armed followers of Emic accompanied the party on foot, under the pretense of doing honor to the burgomaster, but in truth to protect him against insult from any stragglers belonging to the men-at-arms who lay in the abbey, a precaution that was not altogether without utility, as the reader will remember that the path ran within the call of the ecclesiastical edifices. As the bee stambled past the imposing towers and wide roofs that were visible even to those who journeyed in that deep glen, Heinrich's countenance, which had been more than usually thoughtful ever since he passed beneath the gate of Hartenburg, grew graver, and Meta, who rode as usual at his crupper, heard him draw one of those heavy respirations which were so many infallible signs that the mental part of her worthy parent was undergoing extraordinary exercises nor did the shade appear only on the face of the burgomaster a deep and thoughtful gloom clouded the fine features of his wife while the countenance of his blooming daughter betrayed that sort of sombre rest which is apt to succeed high excitement a moment in which the mind appears employed in examining the past as if disposed to dissect the merits and demerits of its recent enjoyments of them all the male attendants alone excepted old ilse returned as she had gone self-satisfied unmoved and talkative count emic hath displeased thee father meta said quickly when a respiration which in one less physical would have been teemed a sigh gave her reason to think the burgomaster's bosom was struggling with some bitter vexation else wouldst thou be more cheerful and better disposed to give me thy parental counsel as is thy habit when we go together on this pillion the occasion shall not fail girl and these abbey walls offer in good time to prick my fatherly memory but thou art in error if thou thinkest that the souls of the hair emic and mine are not bound together like those of david and jonathan i know not the man i more love or the emperor and elector apart as is my duty the noble i so much respect it is well it is so for i greatly value these airy rides among the hills and most of all do i prize a visit to the cottage of Lachin heinrich ejaculated audibly meta he said thou art now getting to be of a womanish age and it is time to fortify thy young mind in a manner that it may meet the cunning and malice of the world life is of great precariousness especially to the valiant and enterprising and we live in perilous times he that is in his prime to-day honored and of credit may be cut down to-morrow or even to-night to bring the illusion more closely to ourselves and thine own parent is as mortal as any reptile that creeps or even the most worthless roisterer of the electorate that wasteth his substance the saving of some gainful parent perhaps in righteousness this is true father rejoined the girl who though accustomed to the homely morality of the good citizen never before had heard the burgomaster deal with so little deference to himself and who spoke in a lower tone 
as if the reflection of his sudden humility produced a withering influence on her own self-esteem. We are no better than the poorest of Durkheim, and scarcely as good as poor Lochchen and Burkhold. A stronger ejaculation betrayed Heinrich's displeasure. Let these honest people alone, he answered. Since each must be saved or be damned on his own account, let Lochchen and her son take such fare as Providence shall send. We have just now serious matters of great family concernment to occupy us. I would reason with thee gravely, child, and therefore I have need of thy closest attention, it being conceded that I am mortal, and a mission thou mayest be certain, Meta, I should not loosely make or without necessity. It follows as a consequence that sooner or later I must be taken from thee, when thou wilt be left an orphan. Now, this great calamity may befall us both much sooner than thou fanciest, for, I repeat it, we live in perilous times, when hot-headedness and valor may any day bring a man to a premature end. The round arm of Meta clung more forcibly to the body of the burgomaster, who took the gentle pressure as so much proof of his child's concern in his suppositious end. Why tell me of this, father, she exclaimed, when thou knowest it only makes both unhappy, though young it may be my fate to die first. That is possible, but little probable returned Heinrich with a melancholy air. Giving nature a fair chance, it will be my turn to precede even thy mother, since I have ten good years, the start of her. And as for thee, I greatly dread it will be one day thy misfortune to be left an orphan. God knows what will be the end of all these contentions that now beset us, and therefore I hold it wise to be prepared. Whenever the evil day of parting may come, Meta, Thou wilt be left with a sore companion for one of tender years and little experience. Father, I mean money, child, which is a blessing or a curse as it proveth. Were I taken suddenly away, many idle and dissolute gallants would beset thee, swearing by their mustachios and beards that thou wert dearer to them than the air they breathe, when in truth their sole desire would be to look into the leavings of the departed burgomaster. There is great difficulty in marrying one of thy neutral condition happily, for while want of birth closeth the door of the castle and the palace against thy entrance, ample means give thee right to look beyond the mere burgher. I would fain have one of good hopes for a son-in-law, and yet no spendthrift. That may not be so easy of accomplishment, good father, returned Meta, laughing, for few girls of her years listen to conjectures or plans concerning their future establishment without a nervous irritability that easily takes the appearance of merriment. To me the world seems divided into those who get and those who spend, or into the wise and foolish. There are three ingredients that commonly enter into all marriages of girls in thy condition, and without which there is little hope of happiness or even everyday respect. The first is the means of livelihood, the second is the constant and blessing of the parents, and the third is equality of condition. I had thought thee about to say something of tastes and inclinations, father. Idle conceit, child, that any whim may change. Look at yonder peasant, who is trimming the abbey vines. Dost think him less happy with his cup of sour liquor than if he quaffed of the best Rhenish in Bonifacius's cellar? And yet, had the hind his choice, doubt it not he would be ready to swear none but the liquor of Hockheim should wet lip of his? The fellow might make himself miserable by mere dint of fancy, were he once to set his mind on other fare. But taking life soberly and industriously, who so content as he? Oh, I have often envied these knaves their happiness. 
when vexation and losses have weighed upon my spirits? And wouldst thou change conditions with these vine trimmers, father? What art thou thinking of, wench? Is there not such a thing as order and propriety on earth? And this brings me to my purpose. There has been question today concerning some silliness, not to say presumption, on the part of young Burkhold Hintermeyer, in wishing to couple his poverty with thy means. The head of Meta fell abashed, and the arm which clasped the body of her father trembled perceptibly. I doubt that Burkhold has not thought of this, she answered in a voice but little above her breath, though her respiration was very audible. All the better for him, since such a desire would be just as unreasonable as it would be on thy part to wish to wed with Count Emic's heir. Nay, that silly thought never crossed me, explained Meta frankly. All the better for thee, girl, since Herr von Hartenberg has had the boy betrothed these many years. Well, as we now understand each other so well, leave me to my thoughts for weighty matters press on my mind. So saying, Heinrich composed himself to reflection, fully content with the parental lesson he had just imparted to his daughter. But in a few and vague remarks that had fallen from the burgomaster, Meta found sufficient food for uncomfortable conjecture for the rest of the ride. During the short dialogue between Heinrich and Meta, there had also been a discourse between Ulrich and the crone that rode in her pillion. The propensity of old Ilse to talk and the well-tried indulgence of her mistress induced the former to break silence the moment they were clear of the hamlet, and were so far advanced beyond the rest of the party as to render it safe to speak freely. "'Well,' exclaimed the nurse, "'this hath been truly a day. First we had Matins in Durkheim, and then the stirring words of Father Johann with the Abbe Mass, and lastly this high demeanor of the Count Emic. I do not think, good wife, that thou hast ever before seen the burgomaster so preferred. He is ever in the graces of Herr von Hartenberg, as thou mayest know else, returned Heinrich's partner, speaking like one that thought of other things. I would that they were less friendly at this moment. Nay, therein thou dost little justice to thy husband. It is honorable to be honored by the world's honored, and thou shouldst wish the burgomaster favor with all such, though it were even with the emperor. But thou wert ever particular, even as a child, and I should not deal too harshly with a propensity that, coming as it were of nature, is not without good reason. Ah, heaven is ever tender with the good. Now what a happy life is thine, Ulrich. Here canst thou go forth before all that were once the equals, a burgomaster's companion, and not a varlet between Durkheim Gate or indeed thine own gate, and the hold of Hartenberg shall stand covered as thy steed shovels past. This is it to be fortunate. Then we have worthy Heinrich for a master, and such another for keeping all in due respect is not to be seen in our town. And Meta, who beyond dispute is both the fairest and the wisest of her years, among all the maidens and thyself, scarcely less blooming than of old, with such health and contentment as might even disarm widowhood of its sorrows. Ah, what a life hath been thine! Ulrich seemed to arouse herself from a trance as the nurse thus chanted praises in honor of her good fortune, and the sigh she drew, unconscious of its meaning, was long and tremulous. I complain not of my fate, good Ilse. If thou didst, I would cause the beast to halt, that I might quickly descend, for nothing good could come of a journey so blasphemous. 
No, grant it before all other virtues except humility, for humility leadeth to favors, and favor is the lawful parent of gratitude itself. I would thou couldst have been at last shriving, Ulrich, and thou shouldst have heard questions of nice meaning closely reasoned. It happened that Father Johann was in the confessional, and when he had got the little I had to say of myself in the way of acknowledgment, for though a great sinner like all human, it is little I can do against heaven at threescore and ten. We came to words concerning doctrine. The monk maintained that the best of us might fall away so as to merit condemnation, while I would have sworn, had it been seemly to swear in such a place, that the late prior, than whom none better ever dwelt in Limburg, always having comfortable assurance of mercy being safe when fairly earned, I wonder not that these heresies should be abroad, when the professed throw this discouragement in the way of the old and weak. Thou art too apt, good Ilse, to dwell on subtleties when a meeker faith might better become thy condition. And what is this condition, prithee, that thou namest it as a disqualifier? Am I not aged? And can any say better what is sin or what not? Didst thou know what sin was thyself, child, till I taught thee? Am I not mortal, and therefore frail? Am I not a woman, and therefore inquiring? And am I not aged, and therefore experienced? No, come to me, and thou wouldest get an insight into real sin, sin that hath much need of grace. Well, let it be thus. But, else I would recall thy mind to days long past, and take counsel of thy experience in a matter that toucheth me nearly. That must be some question of meta, not else could touch a mother nearly. Thou hast reason in part, tis of meta, and us all in sooth that I would speak. Thou hast now been in the Heidenmauer more than once with our girl in quest of the holy anchorite? Have I not? Thou mayest well say more than once, since I have twice made that weary journey, and few of my years would have come off so lightly from the fatigue. And what is said in the country round of the holy man, of his origin and history, I mean? Much is said, and much that is good and edifying is said. It is thought that one blessing of his is as good as two from the abbey, for of him no harm is known, whereas there is much reputed of Limburg that had better not be true. For myself, Ulrich, and I am one that does not treat these matters lightly, I should go away with more surety of favor with a single touch of the hermit's hand than if honored with blows from all of Limburg. But from the account I except Father Arnoff, who, if he be not an anchorite, well deserves from his virtues to be one. Oh, that is a man were justice done him who ought never to taste other liquor than water of the spring or other food than bread hard as a rock. And hast thou seen him of the Heidenmauer? It hath been sufficient for me to be in sight of his hut. I am none of those that cannot have a good thing in possession without using it up. I have never laid eyes on the holy man, for that is a virtue I keep in store against some of the sore evils that beset all in age. Let any of the autumn plagues come upon me, and thou shalt see in what manner I will visit him. Ilse, thou mayest yet remember the days of my infancy, and hast some knowledge of most of the events of Durkheim for these many, many years? I know not what thou callest infancy, but if it mean the first cry thy feeble voice ever made, or the first glance of thy twinkling eyes, I remember both, and it were yesterday's vespers. And thou hast not forgotten the youths and maidens that then sported at our merrymakings and were gay in their time as these we see today? 
call you these gay? These are hired mourners compared to those of my youth. You that have been born in the last fifty years know little of mirth and gaiety, if thou wouldst learn. Of this we can speak at another season. But since thy memory remains so clear, thou canst not have forgotten the young Herr von Ritterstein, he that was well received of old within my father's doors. Ulrich spoke in a low voice. But the easy movement of the beast they rode suffered every word to each the ear of her companion. Do I remember Odo von Ritterstein? exclaimed the crone. Am I a heathen to forget him or his crime? Poor Odo! Bitterly hath he repented that transgression in banishment, as I have heard. We may hope that his offense is forgiven. Of whom? Of heaven? Never, as thou livest, Ulrich, can such a crime be pardoned. It will be twenty years of this night since he did that deed, as all in the Jägerthal will know. For there have been masses and exorcisms without number said in the Abbey Chapel on his account. What does take heaven to be that it can forget an offense like that? It was a dreadful sin, answered Ulrich, shuddering, for though she betrayed a desire to exonerate the supposed penitent, horror at his offense was evidently uppermost in her mind. It was blasphemy to God and an outrage to man. Let him look to it, I say, for his soul is in cruel jeopardy. A heavy sigh was the answer of the burgomaster's wife. I knew young Odo von Ritterstein well, continued the crone, and though not ill-gifted as to outward appearance, and of most seductive discourse to all who would listen to a hunting tongue, I can boast of having read his inmost nature at our very first acquaintance. Thou understood a fearful mystery, half-whispered Ulrich. It was no mystery to one of my years and experience. What is a comely face? and a noble birth, and a jaunting air, and a bold eye to your woman that hath had her opportunities, and who hath lived long. Nay, nay, young Odo's soul was read by me, as your mass-saying priest readeth his missal, that is, with half a glance. It is surprising that one of thy station should have so quickly and so well understood him, that most have found inexplicable. Thou knowest he was long in favor with my parents. I, and with thee, Ulrich, and this proves the great difference of judgments. But not a single day, nay, not even an hour, was I mistaken in his character. What was his name to me? They say he had crusaders among his ancestors, and that nobles of his lineage bore the sign of the cross under a hot sun and in a far land, in honor of God. But none of this would I hear. I saw the man with mine own eyes, and with mine own judgment did I judge. Thou sawest one else of no displeasing mien. So thought the young and light-minded. I deny not his appearance, t'was according to heaven's pleasure. Nor do I say aught against his readiness in exercises, or any other esteemed and knightly qualities, for I am not one to backbite a fallen enemy. But he had a way. Now, when he came first to visit thy father, here did he enter the presence of the honest burgomaster, and he had been the elector instead of a mere baron, and though there I stood wanting to do him reverence as he became his rank and my breeding, nay, doing him reverence and that oft-repeated, not a look of grace, nor a thank, nor a smile of condescension did I get for my pains. His eyes could not stoop to the old nurse, but were fastened on the face of the young beauty besides many other levities. Oh, I quickly accounted him for what he was. He was of contradictory qualities. Worse than that, a hundredfold worse. I can count you up his graces in brief speech. 
First was he a roisterer that never missed occasion to enter into all debaucheries with the very monks he dishonored. Nay, that I did never hear. Is it reasonable to suppose otherwise, after what we know of a certainty? Give me but one bold vice in a man, and I will quickly show you all its companions. And is this true? Ought we not rather to think that most yield in their weakest points, while they may continue to resist in their strongest? That there are faults which, inviting the world's condemnation, produce indifference to the world's opinion? May be true, but I hope few are so evil as not to retain some portion of their good qualities. Hast thou ever seen a siege, good wife? Thou wouldst not say this. Here is your enemy without the ditch, shouting and screaming and doing his worst to alarm the garrison. I say now, but what I have thrice seen here, in our very Durkheim, but so long as the breach is not made, or the ladders placed, each goes his way in the streets quietly and unharmed. But let the enemy once enter, though it be but by a window or down a chimney, open fly the gates, and in pour the columns, horsemen and footmen, till not a house escapes rifling, nor a sanctuary violation. Now this blasphemy of Herr Odo was much as if a curtain of wall had fallen at once, letting in whole battalions and squadrons of vices and company. That the act was fearful is as certain as that it was heavily punished. But still, may it have been the fault of momentary folly or of provoked resentment? It was blasphemy, and as such it is punished. Why then say more in its defense? Here cometh Meta within call, and it were well she should not hear her mother justify sin. Remember, thou art a mother, and bear thy charge with prudence. As the horses ridden by the burgomaster and his daughter drew near, Ulrich ceased speaking with the patient forbearance that distinguished her intercourse with the old woman. And during the rest of the ride, little more passed among the equestrians. On reaching his own abode, however, Heinrich hastened to hold a secret council with the chief men of the place. The remainder of the day passed as was wont in the towns of that age. The archers practiced with their bows without the walls. The more trained arquebusiers were exercised with their unwieldy but comparatively dangerous weapons. The youthful of the two sexes danced who quaffed after the toil of the week the cheap and healthful liquor of the plotinant in a heavy animal enjoyment. Here and there a monk of the neighboring abbey appeared in the streets, though it was with an air less authoritative and assured than before the open promulgation of the opinions of Luther had brought into question so many of the practices of the prevailing church. End of Volume 2, Chapter 2, read by Joel Kendrick.